The scripture reading is taken from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 45. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out to his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kimberly. Since Easter, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark. The shortest and perhaps the most vivid of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, It's based on the um, memory and the account of Jesus that Peter gave. And it reflects his passions. Peter was an, an illiterate fisherman, never went to school. And when he describes Jesus and his ministry, he just describes what he saw. He doesn't speculate. He doesn't interpret. I saw Jesus do this, and then he did this, and then he did this. It's very direct. It's very vivid. It's very much what, Je- what Peter saw Jesus do. And so a great place to get uh, a basic summary of Jesus' ministry. We've seen in the first chapter that um, Jesus was baptized, went to John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and was baptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. God says, this is my son whom I love. We've seen him going out into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tested and tempted by the devil after he'd starved himself 40 days without food or water. Immediately after that, he begins his ministry. He goes to the north of Israel, to the Sea of Galilee, to a town, um, Capernaum. He's got uh, now four fishermen, the beginning of his group of disciples. And as we saw last week, he begins his public ministry. He began to teach in the synagogue in Capernaum. He begins to heal. He begins to challenge. He begins to become this public figure challenging the religious authorities, and we'll see how that develops. And now we see what happens after that beginning. As soon as they left the synagogue, this is his first public teaching place, 
they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So we have a shift here. He's, he's had this public um, command performance where he taught with authority, amazed the people, drove out spirits just with a word. Now, much more of a domestic setting, much more of an intimate setting. It shows that Jesus wasn't just some traveling showman with a regular shtick. He changed what he said and he did and how he behaved according to those that met him, according to those he encountered. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. Simon's mother-in-law. This is Simon, who Jesus will rename as the rock, Petra, which becomes Peter. So this is Peter's mother-in-law, which means Peter was married. He had a family. It's a challenge to the idea that you have to be celibate and unmarried to be a religious leader. And look how intimate it is. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. No words of power, no uh, commanding, an intimate touch that heals her, and that's all it takes. Now, it might, to our modern ears, sound um, a little demeaning that she has to get up, and then immediately she becomes a waiter, waiting on them. But this is the word diaconate. Just as Jesus ministered to her, she ministers and serves him. The diaconate is the name we give to the serving arm of our church. And so here is perhaps the first diaconate, the first deacon responding to what Christ has done in her life. Now it's interesting. Why does Peter not name his mother-in-law, or even mention his wife and family. After all, this is his family home. Um, He's going to leave them for three years to follow Jesus. He's going to leave his career as a fisherman. He's going to leave his family. And yet there's not a mention of them. There is definitely a story to be written about what was going on in that relationship. But just one thing to notice. Peter obviously was touched by this. This is the first of his healing stories. And as we see, the whole town is going to come to demand Jesus' heals. But Peter sets apart this little incident as a memory of what Jesus did in his family. Verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. This was the Sabbath, remember? And so like uh, good Jews, they wait until the sun goes down to do the work of bringing their family members and to bring their sick to Jesus um, at uh, Peter's home. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. As we saw last week, Jesus had two ministries, well, he was, he was a preacher as well. But there's a great distinction made between healing and exorcisms. And they seem to have been both part of Jesus' repertoire and his disciples when he sends them out. The people back then recognized this distinction. And it was very much about Jesus not only healing people, 
but spiritually cleansing them, preparing them to receive the Holy Spirit, preparing them to receive and be in relationship with God, to become holy rather than unclean. And before we move on, just a note, he would not let the demons speak. If you read the Gospel of Mark, this is a theme again and again when Jesus heals, when Jesus does some kind of miracle, he tells the person, commands the demons, not to speak. It's so consistent that this has a name. Studies of the Gospel of Mark call this the messianic secret. Jesus did not want his ministry or his presence to become a big deal. He was waiting for his own timing. He ministered for three years in Galilee. He was waiting for the time to be ready for him to reveal himself. He was working on his own schedule according to his own agenda. Now, there might be other reasons we know of. Perhaps he didn't want to be announced by demons. He wanted to be announced you know, by himself, by angels. But this, you'll see as you go through the gospel, is a recurring theme. And Jesus seems to be always on the fringes of the society, much more than we see in the other gospels. Peter remembers him as a man of the wilderness, a man from lonely places, much like John the Baptist. We get a change now. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Literally, it's a, it is a very great while before day. Now remember, he'd preached in the synagogue. He healed, and then the whole town came to his door in the evening. He must have spent the night healing people, ministering to people, taking care of people. It was a long day. He must have been exhausted. And yet, very, very early in the morning, he leaves Capernaum and goes out into the wilds all alone to this solitary place to pray. And this is significant because um, unlike the other Gospels, Peter tends not to talk about Jesus' prayer. I mean, we saw him mention prayer when, when Jesus is tempted by the devil. He talks about Jesus' prayer life here. There's one place after Jesus feeds the 5,000 that Peter mentioned that he prays, and then the Garden of Gethsemane right before Jesus goes to the cross. For Peter, prayer was significant, and he makes a point of showing his prayer here. Why might that be? What is Peter trying to highlight or make us notice before we go on with the rest of the gospel? I believe the point that is here is Peter is noticing or stressing or pointing us to the fact that Jesus, although he was the second and is the second person of the Trinity, although he has access to all the power of heaven, the legions of angels. For the most part, in his human ministry, he does not act out of divine strength. He ministers out of his human strength, his human nature, just like us. Remember when he was out in the desert, when he was being tested. 
he prayed constantly to God to be able to be ready for the temptation. He prays when he begins his ministry. And here, as his ministry, his public ministry gets going, he goes out to pray even though he's exhausted. Jesus doesn't go to pray despite his exhaustion. He goes because of his exhaustion. He shows us what a human being needs to be about if they're going to be successful in ministry, if they're going to be successful in taking care of other people. He, in his human nature, and we, need our connection with God. We need his strength and not our strength. You know, when I began my ministry, when I was an intern in Manhattan, one of the very first things that all the leaders there were told was that because of the intensity of city life, it's hard just to exist in the city. It's hard to take care of yourself, let alone other people. Because of that intensity, people in ministry in the city need to be very careful to develop habits of prayer, of personal worship, retreat, just like Jesus did, going out in the wilderness, accountability, things that renew and recreate that spiritual connection with God. Otherwise, there is a tendency to burn out. And that's not just a tragedy for yourself. Oftentimes, and unfortunately, oftentimes that leads to some kind of scandal in the church, particularly if you're a leader. That damages other people, that damages the reputation and witness of the Christian church. There's a remarkable article in, um, there's a, a group called the Gospel Coalition, a group of evangelical pastors in, the, in America, and they have this um, blog kind of newsletter. And this week, they show and talk about a study. They looked at 246 pastors and Christian leaders who in a two-year period blew up, had some kind of moral scandal that destroyed their ministry and their ability to be pastors and leaders in the future. And they interviewed every one of these 246 leaders. And there are a lot of insights to be found. I recommend you read that article. But there were two things that every single one of those 246 pointed out, confessed to, noticed. Every single one of them had failed to have some kind of personal accountability. They had nobody in their life who was talking to them and asking them about personal challenges, temptations, and sins. They all felt alone, alienated. They all felt like there was nobody they could talk to. By the way, I think this is a particular problem with men. I've noticed that after college, American men tend not to make friends. They tend to, if they do meet friends, talk about sports. And it's very rare for an adult man to have close friends, male friends, who keep them accountable, who talk to them about the patterns of sin and temptation in their life. That was the first thing that caused all these 246 leaders in it. Just this is in, just in one two-year period to blow up. And you think how many lives, their families, 
members of that congregation. Just how destructive that would have been. The second is they had all but ceased to have a daily time of personal prayer, Bible reading, and worship. They were just winging it on their own human strength. They were not reconnecting with God, the spiritual source. And the result is they felt alienated, alone, and exhausted. My first boss, uh, a pastor, Worth Carson, he told me in the early days of his ministry, he was a church planner, and he got exhausted. There was just so much going on between his family and his kids and the church and fundraising, and he got to the point where he was not praying. He was just running on nervous energy. And he said one uh, time he came to write a sermon for Sunday, and he said it was like I dropped a bucket down the well and it just hit the bottom. There was nothing there. He had nothing to share. He was completely empty, completely exhausted. That is no condition to be a a religious leader, to be a leader in a church. Our spiritual life depends on our relationship with God. It's like a pipeline, not a well. We need that pipeline constantly flowing. It's like a spring in the center of our being, in our heart. A spiritual spring that brings new life and new energy and that we can share with other people. If we become a well, one day it will run dry. One day, you, if you're a Christian leader or if you're in ministry, you will run dry. There's a necessity to be in constant prayer to have habits of prayer and retreat. Jesus, the Son of God, goes out into the wilderness so that he can pray to his Father, so that he can be renewed, so that his ministry can continue. If Jesus had to do it, so do all of us. And if we try to do without him, we're going to damage ourselves and damage our church. What else do we learn from this? Verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. By the way, there's a sense of um, rebuke or frustration in that phrase, in the word choice. Jesus is a huge hit in Capernaum. All these people are showing up at the door. What are you doing, Jesus? Out in the wilderness, out all alone in the dark, when the show has started. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I come. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. He did that for about three years. Capernaum was their base. They would constantly go out and travel Jesus became this itinerant preacher, healer, rabbi. But notice what he says. So I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus could do miracles. Jesus could heal. Jesus could drive out demons. In fact, he teaches his disciples to do all those things. 
But the primary person, the primary reason, sorry, that he came was to preach. To share God's word. Preaching means taking the Bible, and Jesus and the people back then would have had the Old Testament, taking the Bible and explaining to people how they are connected to God through the story of God taking care of his people. That's what preaching is. It is explaining who God is, who the people are, and what is the connection. What is the story? What is all this pointing to? And that's why he came. And that, of course, is something that every one of us can do. Jesus, in his humanity, he wasn't some kind of, you know, um, avatar or angel or super-powered, glowing alien. He was a man who showed us what a healthy human life lived in relationship with God looks like. And to show us how to behave and what to do. When was the last time you shared the word of God with anybody in your life? Anybody. Friend, neighbor, co-worker, anybody that you met. Jesus did it constantly. That's why he came. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. I don't know. It's embarrassing. It's hard. I get into trouble. There are many reasons that we avoid sharing the word of God with people. But let me remind you of one thing. The word of God is not just average human words. It's not just any book. It's not just a regular story. It is the story. And these are the words of God. And when you share them, regardless of your skill or your competency, your memory or your gifts, they will have power. The words of God have a power intrinsic to themselves, independent of you or me. And they will do what God sent them into the world to do. There's a place in Isaiah, Isaiah 55, where God says this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Think what that means. When we speak God's words, the truth contained in the Bible, we are speaking his words that are filled with power. And the Holy Spirit can apply those words to any human heart, no matter how hard, no matter what the resistance. We just have to the cur- have the courage and the faith to speak them, and they will do the rest. It is not a matter of convincing people. It is not a matter of clevering, clever arguments or our personal winsomeness. It is just the faith necessary to speak the words, and the words will do the job for which God sent them into the world to do. 
That's why Jesus came. So I can preach. That is why I have come. John calls Jesus the word of God because he comes with God's spiritual power. And we are invited to participate in that ministry. Final thought on this. And this is, this is the part that we cannot copy. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, leprosy back then was a broader category than our concept of leprosy, which is a specific disease. Back then, it would have referred to any skin disease, any skin condition, sores, rashes, any kind of skin disorder, any visible thing that you could see in a person. And notice what the leper says to Jesus. Not heal me. If you're willing, you can make me clean. He wants to be clean before he wants to be healed. Why would that be? Because it wasn't much fun to be a leper back in those days. The book of Leviticus says this. Anyone with such a defiling disease, he's talking about leprosy or any kind of visible condition, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. The people of God, Israel, are a holy nation. That means set apart for God's purpose. Anything that is unholy, unclean, is to be avoided, is considered to be outside the people of God, not useful to God, alienated from God. And so this leper had experienced that. We don't know how long he was a leper, but it must have been a long time. He wanted to be clean rather than healed. He would have had to live outside of the villages. He would have been completely alienated from family and relationships with people. Remember, he had to cover his mask and shout out unclean if anyone came close. What a lonely, miserable life that man must have had. Completely shunned, without a home, without family, or any interaction with society. A wretched, wretched person. And what's Jesus' response? Verse 41. Jesus was indignant. The word there has a sense of anger. Jesus is outraged. Why? Because the leper's desperate, miserable condition, his isolation, his hopeless bondage, is the complete opposite of why God created people. God created human beings to have abundant life, to have joy, to love one another, and to love God to be filled with the joy of God's good creation. That's why God created people. And here, Jesus, the Lord of life, this is not the human Jesus. This is Jesus, Lord of life, second person of the Trinity. Here, Jesus, Lord of life, 
sees the reason that he entered the world. An alienated, isolated, lonely, miserable man in bondage to his disease. That's why Jesus came into our world. Because that is our condition. Alienated from God, in bondage to sin, living in darkness without our creator. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Nobody had touched that man for as long as he'd had leprosy. We don't know how long. Maybe months, maybe years, maybe most of his life. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. That would have shocked him and everybody watching. Because the leper was unclean. And by touching him, Jesus made himself unclean. That means outside the family of God. Outside of relationship with God. And he did it to heal him. It must have been an incredible moment for that man. You see afterwards he goes singing and dancing and telling everybody he meets. This is a perfect picture of why Jesus came into the world. Jesus preaches the gospel, but right here he demonstrates what the true gospel really is. He shows us something that we cannot do for ourselves. And what's that? Jesus takes on to himself our uncleanness, human uncleanness, that is alienation and exclusion from God. All the sin, all the disease, all the ugliness, all the barriers, all the problems, everything, he takes onto himself so that this man can be clean, can be part of God's people, can reconnect with Israel, the holy people of God. Well, that's exactly what he does on the cross for us. The Bible says that on the cross, Jesus becomes sin. He's not just an example. Jesus takes everything that is broken and ugly and diseased and unclean in our life and he takes it onto himself and puts it to death so that we could be redeemed, so that we are made holy, so that our relationship with God is restored and our relationship with each other is restored so we can be about the business of living joyfully together, with abundant life together, taking care of each other together. That's why he came. Jesus comes not just to teach. Jesus comes to redeem and restore our relationship with God, not just as an example, but as a hero who does what we cannot do for ourselves. And he does it at the cost of himself. What happens to Jesus on the cross? They make him carry it outside of Jerusalem by the trash heap. He's alienated from the people. He's alienated from God. He is completely alone. He is in the most complete isolation that anybody has ever had. He loses his holy father. And he does it. For us. That 
is why he came. That is his ministry. That is the gospel that we can share with other people. But keep praying. Keep the connection alive. Keep that spiritual juice flowing. Make sure that you don't do damage to God's people or the witness of his church. Let's pray.